Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, if you would. 1 Corinthians, chapter 4. As you know, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and in doing so, he is making an effort to correct their thinking about some things, to make them realize that uh, their uh, permissive spirit, their prideful heart, are things that are not pleasing to the Lord. Uh, and, and he hasn't gotten into a lot of that yet. Uh, these are kind of opening comments in chapter 4. Go back to chapter 3. He talks about the fact that we are laborers together. He's talking about himself and the people in the church of Corinth. So we're, we're working together. We don't all, uh, there are none of us who do everything with regard to the ministry. And he talks about there's some who, who plant and some who water. And obviously we know the, the final statement that he makes is that they who plant and they who water, they're people who contribute as they are obeying the Lord. But the truth is anything of any substance that happens as a result of that is the result of what God does. God's the one that gives the increase. He's the one who is responsible for any uh, any success, any accomplishment. It all comes from God. Then he goes on, and he says in the latter part of chapter 3, he says, verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, the Spirit of God dwells in you, uh, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And he talks about the fact that they are supposed to be yielded to the Spirit of God. God is working in and through us. That's true with every one of us. And then we come to verse 1 of chapter 4. And, uh, and again, Paul is later in the epistle going to, uh, he's going to uh, rebuke them for some things that are going on in their lives, in their church, things they shouldn't be doing. He's going to rebuke them regarding their attitude about some things. And he knows that they, like most other believers, when they are rebuked, are going to bristle a little bit at that. Now, I don't know whether it's true with Victory Baptist Church, and I don't think it's really true much with Trinity, but in many cases, there are people, when they hear something that the preacher says that convicts them, they blame the preacher for preaching at them. You need to remember that the preacher is, all he's doing is either sowing, he's either planting or watering. He's not seeking to bring about correction in the lives of those he's preaching to. He doesn't have that power. And if you're feeling convicted over something a preacher says, I assure you that it's not the preacher's effort that's causing that. It's the fact that the Spirit of God lives within you and he's identifying something to you that needs to be changed in your life. That's a good thing. And we ought to rejoice in that. That's how we grow. That's how God changes us and makes us into what he wants us to be. But in chapter 4 and verse number 1, I believe Paul is saying, I know that some of you are not going to like what I'm about to say. And I want you to understand that it's not me. And to be honest with you, and he, and he doesn't say this in an ugly way, and I'll read it in just a moment, 
But he's up ultimately saying, you know what? It really doesn't matter what you think. Because you're not my judge. Look at it. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. By the way, that is a, a, a preeminent principle that Paul repeats over and over and over and over again in all of his writings. And you'll look at his statements to Timothy in a moment with regard to some of this. But he says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But notice in verse number three, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. He said, you know what? You're probably going to judge me, and you're probably going to think some of the things that I'm going to say are not, uh, are not very kind, maybe, or not, not uh, you know, you, you, you just, you don't like me. You, you, you don't think I have a right to say that to you. But he says it really doesn't matter. It's not a, I count that as a very small thing that I should be judged of you. And uh, uh, or a man's judgment, he said, yea, I judge not mine own self. That's an interesting statement. You know, I don't look at myself and make a judgment or make a determination about where I stand. You know, that's a that's not a that's not a wise thing to do. Paul speaks in another place about judging ourselves by somebody else. You know, we look at somebody else and we say that person is not a very good person. And I can identify this that he does, this that he does, this that he does, all these things that he does that he shouldn't do. And you know the reason I know I'm pretty good? Because I don't do any of those things. I don't do those things. I'm, 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 you know, I, I seek to serve the Lord. I don't lie, I don't cheat, I don't steal. I don't get involved in, in immorality. I don't drink. I don't, I, I don't curse. I don't swear. I don't do any of those things. There are all these people that do. So I'm much better than they are. That's a dangerous thing. Paul says, I don't judge myself because I know I'm not very good. He said that he was the chief of sinners even after he had been saved for a while. He talked about the fact that he lost battles over and over again. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But Paul said, I don't, I don't judge myself. I judge my own, I, I judge not my own self. Verse four. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, and here's the key, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. You see, we need to be very careful to make sure that we remember that it's the Lord who can see clearly enough to determine where we stand. Our, our perception is sometimes flawed. In fact, it's always flawed. Because we see it through our, from our perspective. And that doesn't mean that we should not seek to be a good Christian or to be a good person or be kind or to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit as the Lord works in us. Those are good things. But we don't need to be prideful about anything God does. It's not us that does it. We don't do it. God does it in our, in our lives, in the truth. So Paul says, it's important. The, 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 the primary positive thing he says in all of this is it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. 
Doesn't say it required in the stewards of many power. Uh, 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 we use the term godly. Our godliness is not based on what we do. It's based on what God has done in us. No, we're not, we're not seeking to attain a standard in our flesh of godliness that will be judged by any man to be spiritual. That's not the point. Our job is to please the Lord, and the way we please the Lord is by being faithful. That's the standard that Paul sets, and it's throughout his writings, over and over again. Turn to the book of Colossians. I want to call your attention to three specific people and what he says with regard to them and their walk with the Lord. In Colossians chapter 1, and verse number 7, he says this. Verse 6 says, uh, well, uh, let's go back to verse 3. The sentence starts up there. We give thanks to God the Father of the Lord Jesus, of Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, which is coming to you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learn of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a for you a faithful minister, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. So Paul says about Epaphras, he tells the folks at, at, at the church of Colossae, Epaphras is a faithful minister to you, and you will benefit from his ministry. Turn over to chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4. And look at verse number 7. He says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. How Tychicus is a faithful minister. Look at verse number 9. Verse 8, he says, Whom I have sent to you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So Paul not only declares that it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful, he gives reference to three men in particular who are testimony, have testimonies of faithfulness, who are examples of faithfulness who have an opportunity to minister in the lives of those in the church at Colossae. Now I'd like you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy, to this Paul's second letter to Timothy. And we're going to look at how Paul addresses this matter of faithfulness with emphasis in the life of Timothy. Now you understand that Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. He says it over and over and over again in this second letter. Look at chapter 1 and verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father 
and Christ Jesus Solomon. He begins by saying, I'm writing this letter to Timothy, my beloved son in the faith. And, and so this whole letter is a letter of admonition to Timothy. He's, he's admonishing Timothy to remember certain things. And we're not going to cover all of them. There, there are a number of them in this letter. But I want to mention three very specific things, and then I want to, I want to compare them to something Paul says later in chapter 4. So I want you to notice three things that Paul says are vitally important if Timothy is going to be the faithful servant that the Lord wants him to be. The first one is found in verse number eight. And he says to Timothy, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, of our Lord, nor me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So Paul says, Don't be ashamed. Now, why would Timothy be ashamed? Well, it's not because he doesn't love the Lord. He obviously does. It's not because he's not grateful for God's goodness in his life. Paul says, don't be ashamed and don't be cautious about being a protector of the afflictions that come as a result of taking a stand for Christ. That's what he says. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor be his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Why do people, why do people demonstrate a sense of being ashamed of the gospel? It's because they're intimidated in most cases. They are, they're afraid if they say something, somebody's going to criticize them, or somebody's going to condemn them, or somebody's going to make fun of them. Or somebody's going to say, you're not very smart if you believe that. That is our society today, by the way. They're, they are doing all they can to try to silence those who know and love the Lord. That's why in California, you, I mean, you get fined for going to church. That's our society today. They're doing all they can to destroy the opportunity for preachers and for Christians to live their faith. Yes. And it's a it's a it's a challenge to be careful and not to be ashamed of your faith. Now we live in the South and uh, and in the South this is called the Bible Belt and everybody here goes to church. You know you go you knock on somebody's door and say I'm for such well I go to this church. I go to that church. Now they then they only go once a year. Or the mail we go you know on Easter you know Christmas or whatever. But they go to church, they, they identify with the church. And yet in, in the South there come times when you feel a little bit a little bit uneasy about being cool. That should never be the case. So Paul says the first thing to Timothy, he says to be fearless. Don't be afraid of what anybody else thinks. Don't be afraid of what they're liable to say or what they're liable to do. You take your stand. You make sure that people, and, and, and when I say that, I'm not saying that you ought to be belligerent. You don't walk up and get in somebody's face and say, look, I'm a Christian and it doesn't matter whether you like it or not and I'm taking my stand. That's not what I'm talking about. And there are 
I've seen some that are like that too. And they don't help us a whole lot. But it's just being a normal person and living your life as a normal believer. And if you do that, the way God intends for you to do it, then your faith will be obvious. Because you'll be hesitant to laugh at certain things people say. You'll be careful about not being deceitful. You'll be kind instead of being belligerent. You know, you will, you will show the fact that Christ lives in you by the way you live. And, and we need to be very careful that we don't get to the place where we have a halfway trend. Now let's go on. Notice what else he says about this very thing. He says, Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor be his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Verse number 9, who hath saved us and called us with an holy call. I won't stop there for just a moment. And I want every person in this room to understand what I'm about to say. He's talking to Timothy, who is a young preacher. But he's also talking to every one of us. Every single person in this room. The Lord has called you, He has saved you, and He has called you. You say, well, I don't feel the Lord has called me to anything. I'm not in ministry. I'm not doing this or that or whatever. doesn't matter. It just so happens that Timothy is in the ministry. But every believer, every person who's ever trusted Christ as their Savior, God has called them. Now look at the rest of what he says here. This is very specific, and it's hard to, to ignore it. Look at what he says. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which were given us in Christ Jesus before the Lord began. That's a pretty powerful statement. The Bible says in Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, my name. This says, before the foundation of the world, God had a calling and a purpose for your life. Every person in here, every person who knows the Lord, the Lord has called them for a specific purpose. Now, so what do we do? How do we, how do we find that? Well, it may not be that there's a way to identify a specific professional calling that God has for you. But the calling that he has for you is to live for him. To understand that your body is his temple. To understand that you have a, you have a purpose in sowing and in watering the truth of the gospel. And you should not be ashamed of your faith. You should not be hesitant to let people know what you believe and to take your stand for Christ. Be fearless in your position as a believer. The Bible says that our Heavenly Father cares about us, that He is with us in Christ's city. The Bible says that Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. He's given us the Spirit of God as a comforter to help us that way, but to also guide us. We talked last week about 
doing the will of God is just walking as God leads. It's just a matter of, 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 of taking steps as God gives us direction. It's obeying the leadership he gives you step by step, one at a time, as you seek to, to, to fulfill his will. And so don't be hesitant, don't be ashamed. Remember, this was established before the foundation of the world. It's not something that happened just because, oh, hey, look, someone got saved. I've got, to, I've got to give him something to do. That's not the case. He knew you before you were born, and he had a purpose for you before the foundation of the world. That's what Paul says. Verse number 10, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Then he says, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. So Paul says, Timothy, God's got a purpose for you. You need to be careful to fulfill the calling that God has given you. Just like I fulfill my calling, God has appointed me to be a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Be fearless. Don't be afraid to do what God wants you to do. Don't be afraid to take your stand. Don't be afraid to follow the Lord. Be fearless, unashamed. Don't worry about what might happen because you take your stand. Second thing, admonitions Paul gives to Timothy. Look at verse number one of chapter two. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to, here's that word again, faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So Paul says, this is a progressive, a progressive uh, uh, process. In other words, you have a responsibility to communicate the truth to others who will be faithful, who will then communicate it to others who will also be faithful. It goes one to another, to another, to another, to another. And that's how, how we got to where we are now. It's been that way for years since Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. It's been happening over and over again. And that's how we got to where we are in this building today. God speaking to someone who tells somebody else, and that person is faithful to tell somebody else, that person is faithful to tell somebody else. Happened all those times. I don't know how many how many connections there are between when Paul wrote this letter and where we are here. It's very broad and it includes millions of connections. But that's how it happened. And that's why this church is here today. That's why Victory is here today. That's why Trinity is here today. Because all of that was messed up. And then look at verse number three. It says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wore it entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soul. So now Paul includes a second, a second uh, challenge there. Not only do you need to be not ashamed, you need to be willing to engage the enemy. He says, no man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life. In other words, not, you need, need not only to be fearless, you need to be forceful in taking your stand, willing to fight the battle, willing to engage the enemy. 
Now, understand that we don't win any battles by ourselves. And we do not take credit for winning the battles. That's why Paul said, again, I don't judge myself. So we, we have a tendency to look at a situation in our lives, the battle we have. We've got this battle. The Holy Spirit's dealt with this battle. So we say, okay, I've got to win that battle. And I'm going to fight that battle. And I'm going to work at it, and I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, by sheer force of my will, I'm going to do this thing that I'm supposed to do. And then we get through, and you go through, you, you, you battle, and you work on it, and you get victory over it, or at least it seems that way. And you make so much progress, and you start to think, boy, you know, this is great. I'm not, I'm not having that, that battle anymore. You know, when you say that, what happens? is it increases and all of a sudden you're weak again because you you gradually chose to take credit for a victory that you did not win, but that God won in you. That's a, that's a real thing. And that's why so many people have ongoing doubts. And it's true of everybody. Paul in Romans chapter 7 don't hear many passages, many, many messages about Romans chapter 7. Because what is Romans chapter 7? What does Paul say at the end of Romans chapter 7? He says, I'm weak and I can't see the way that I am. And the things I shouldn't do, I do them. And the things I know I should do, I don't do those things. Do you ever feel that way? Is that a challenge that you have? Every believer who is willing to be honest has to say, that is my life. Right, right. And Paul dealt with that. So it's no wonder he said, I don't judge myself. If I look at myself, I see myself as an abject failure because I'm not able to win those battles. So how do you, how do you deal with that? You remember that the battle is the Lord's. And you yield ourselves ourselves to the Lord, and as long as we're willing to do that, then we obey the Lord. You know, I I can remember years ago when I was a teenager, uh, preachers would come and they would they would talk about, and and there's truth to this. I'm not I'm not I'm not discounting what they they said. The truth that they would preach is that the battle that you face between evil and good. That goes on in the heart of every individual, which, by the way, became real and became intense after you got saved. Before you got saved, you didn't have a battle because there was nothing in you to help you to want to do good. But after you got saved, now you've got a battle between the spirit and the flesh. And so he talked about the spirit being, there's a dog over here, there's a dog over here, the spirit and the flesh. And the one that is going to have the victory in your life is the one that you, you feed the, the most. So if you if you spend your time feeding the flesh, then the flesh is going to be the stronger one, and it's going to win the battle. If you spend spend your time feeding the spirit, then your spirit's going to be stronger, and you're going to win the battle. Now there's truth to that in the sense that if you feed on fleshly things, that's going to make you weak. If you feed on spiritual things, the Word of God and preaching and that kind of thing, that's going to help you. That is absolutely true. But the point I'm trying to make is we don't win the battle in our flesh. 
And the only way we win the battle is when we obey the Spirit of God who has the power to win the battle for us. And so Paul says, be forceful in that fight. And the forcefulness doesn't come so much from an active fighting against the flesh as it is an active obedience to the Spirit who lives in our heart and is always going to give you the wisdom you need to make the right choice. That's what I was talking about at the beginning. If you listen to preaching or the reading scripture and you feel conviction, that's the Spirit of God. And it's whether or not you obey. Have you ever had a situation where you were in church and the Spirit of God convicted you about something and you spent the rest of the service justifying what you've done? Are trying to explain why it's somehow okay for you to continue that practice. I know about that because I spent a lot of years doing that. And I still have a battle with that today. It's, it's our flesh. And we hear something, well, yeah, I know that's the way it seems, and, but, but you know what? Uh, I've, I've got a, I've got a, a good reason why I do this. And, and it's really not bad, and, and it's bad for some people, it's really not bad for me, you know. Well, if it's not bad for you, why are you, but, you know, why are you having this argument with yourself? The fact that we feel like we have to defend ourselves is evidence that we know that that's not a good thing. And the best thing for us to do in that situation is just yield to the Spirit. And say, okay, Lord, you know I have this battle. I'm going to trust you to give me victory. And then obey him. And he will give us, he'll give us the victory. Paul said, be fearless, be forceful in your, when you engage with the enemy. And then he said, a third thing is to be thankful. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 10. And we skipped over a couple of things that we just don't have time to look at uh, with regard to being a student and some other things, being a servant. But look at verse number 10. Uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Chapter 4, verse number 1. Chapter 4, verse number 1. Paul says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead in his spirit of his kingdom. He said, preach the word, and here it is, be instant, in season, out of season. He goes on, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. All of that, all of that is part of what he's supposed to do, but he's supposed to do it by being instant, in season, out of season. All of it. He's supposed to be consistent about it. He's supposed to be faithful with it. He goes on, verse number three. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Okay, so what is he talking about there? It's the same thing that he's talked about earlier. Be fearless and be forceful because there's going to be opposition. And they're not going to want to hear the truth. They're going to reject the truth. And the truth is, the, the reality is, they're not just going to retract, reject the truth. They're going to reject the messenger. Paul knew about that too. And he says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own must shall they heap themselves teachers having issued ancient years. So, preachers 
which this applies to though, because it's talking to Timothy, who is a preacher. We read this and we think, that means I'm supposed to preach the truth whether they like it or not. You know, it's wonderful when you get done with the service, <coughs> all preachers will send it back to one another. Oh, preacher, that was the most wonderful message. That spoke to my heart. That's great. And I've said before to people at Trinity, I really would prefer that you give honor to the Lord for what I'm just a messenger. That's all. And so I did that, and I did that, and I did that, and I did that. So then, everybody left. They didn't say anything to me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy, this is fun. <laughs> I'd go home, and I'd say, my wife was a messenger. Nobody said anything. <laughs> you know, and you know what that is? That's a battle I'm having with my flesh. And, and, and every preacher knows what I'm talking about with regard to that. But the truth is, it doesn't matter whether anybody says, you know, I really appreciate what you preach. What matters is what the Lord says, well done, son, you preach the truth today. That's what's important. It doesn't matter whether it feeds their desires, whether it tickles their ears, whether they gain something that was entertaining from it, or any of that kind of stuff. None of that matters. What matters is you've been faithful to proclaim the truth. Whether they like it or not, whether it helps them or not, it's supposed to help them, but it doesn't help everybody because everybody doesn't receive it well. It doesn't matter about all of that, though. The preacher's responsibility is to proclaim the truth. So how does that apply to a Christian who is not a preacher? God's got a calling for you. And your calling is to stand for him and to, to, to let people know what you believe. And you proclaim the truth in your life just as much as a preacher does. You know, we moved into that RV in the back. I don't know if you saw when you came around. We sold our house and we moved into this RV in the back. And I thought, boy, I'm not sure I like this or not because i got to be on my P's and Q's every time I step out the door now. No, i got to be careful. I can't be human anymore. I'm a pastor of the church. And everybody's going to be, that's not, that's not true. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding about that. But the truth is we're supposed to be what we are because of who we are in Christ, anywhere we are, and Amen. That's our responsibility. And Paul says we're supposed to be faithful to do all of those things. He goes on and says, these people will turn away their ears from the truth and should be turned into fables. But he said, you watch in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of our ministry. And then we come to verses Six, seven, and eight. And here's where it really gets personal with Timothy. Because Timothy, again, is Paul's son in the face. He said over in verse number two of chapter two, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. And he's, he's given all of this admonition to his son in the faith, and now Paul acknowledges his status in the faith. Where is he in this process of his own life? His admonitions to his son in the faith, his acknowledgement of his status in the faith. So where is he? Verse number six, 
For I am now ready to be off, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love has appeared. There's a couple things I want to say about this place in this letter where Paul mentions this. The first one is that Paul is saying to Timothy, my time is over. It's your turn now. You have this responsibility. I've done my best as a preacher and as an apostle to communicate to you the things that God has given me. Now you have the responsibility for passing on. My departure, the time of my departure is at hand. I think he communicates in that statement a sense of peace and comfort. I think he's ready to go. He goes on and says, I am now ready to be off. I'm ready for the Lord to take me home. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. And Michael Todd of my departure is there. That's his present status. What about his future status? He's gonna, the Lord's going to take him home. What's that going to be like? He mentions that in verse number 8. Henceforth, this is what I've got coming. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but also unto all them that love is appearing. Remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the first part of that chapter, he said, it's a small thing if you are to judge me. I don't even judge myself. But there is one who's judging me, and that's the righteous judge. My God is the one who's going to judge my life. And so he says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them that love is pure. Paul says, my future status is good, because the Lord's the one that's judging me and has been all this time. I'm not judging myself. I'm not paying attention to what other people say about me. I'm trusting the Lord. He's the righteous judge. And then he talks about his past status. So what was it that he made an important thing? What does he look back on and say, this is the thing that I made a priority in my life that reflects my commitment to be faithful to the Lord. The three things he mentions. Number one, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. Remember chapter two, the faith which I've heard of me among many witnesses say to me, there to faithful men who should be able to teach others also, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You go, Fight in the battle, war, and, 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 and no man that war can tangle himself with the affairs of this life, that they may please him who have, who have chosen to be a soldier. He said, you're going to fight, but make sure it's a good fight. Now, what does that mean? Paul does not say, I've won many battles. Paul doesn't say, I've beaten my opponent. Paul doesn't say, I've reached the status of victory over my flesh 
that means that I am I am I am a victorious warrior. That's not what he said. The truth is, if you study the life of Paul, you find out that he lost many battles because he was a battle with his flesh. I'm so glad there's evidence of that in the scripture. Because we have heard for so long preachers preaching unattainable standard. There is no absolute perfection in our flesh. That never happens for a believer because our flesh is still condemned. Our flesh does not get saved. We will not have full victory over everything until our flesh is gone. When the Lord returns, the trump sounds, and the Lord returns and we rise to meet him in the air, then this flesh will go away. And we'll get new bodies. And for the first time, we will experience what it means to have absolute and complete victory. And I'm going to tell you what, that's going to be a wonderful day. That's a day that I'm looking forward to with a great deal of anticipation. Because I have a battle with my flesh. And I wish it was gone. There's coming a day when it will be. Paul did not say, I won every battle that I fought. He said, I fought a good fight. I've been faithful to fight a good fight. Now, what does that mean? That means that he never quit fighting. Doesn't mean you win every time. It means when you lose, you get back up and you get back in the battle. And you keep going and you keep fighting. And if you fall a thousand times, you get up a thousand times again. And you keep fighting. You don't, you don't ever get up, give up. You don't ever quit. You fight a good fight faithfully. The second thing he said is, I finished my course. Back to chapter one. Verse number eight. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor be his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to our own, his own purpose and grace, which is given us in Jesus Christ before the world began. Paul said, you know what? I finished my I've stayed at it, I've run the race, I've finished my course. It's interesting, Paul did not list all the people that he won with Christ. That's not what, he, what he's credible to do. He doesn't say, I started 35 churches in Asia Minor or whatever. He did start a bunch of churches that God used him in a wonderful way, but he did not, when he was ready to be offered, he did not say, Look at all these churches I've started. That's that's what I'm 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 grateful for. No, he said I finished my course. I stayed as much as I could in the center of God's will, and I did what God wanted me to do. That's the thing that's commendable. That's faithfulness. That's what is important. And then he said, I kept the faith. Paul says to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Doesn't matter if they like the truth. Preach the truth. And just stay, stay at it. Don't quit. Preach the truth. 
Paul says, I have been loyal to the truth all through my life. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't commended for that often as he preached the truth. He often ended up in prison. He was in prison when he wrote this letter to Timothy. But he still preached the truth. So you want to know what faithfulness is? Faithfulness is not accomplishing great things for God. Faithfulness is not building big churches. Faithfulness is not baptizing a certain number of people. Faithfulness is not winning a certain number of people to Christ. We're not responsible for any of that anyway. We are servants. We are our tools in God's hands. We sow. We water. But who is it that does all the next stuff? It's God. God's the one that gives the increase. So what is commendable for us? It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Fight a good fight. Not going to win them all, but fight. Finish your course. You won't maybe accomplish great things in the world's eyes, but it doesn't matter. Finish the course. Be true to the faith. Proclaim the truth, embrace the truth, live the truth, make it the, the, the primary component of who you are, and understand that when it's all said and done, you're not going to be judged by the others who look at you and say, well, that guy's a successful guy, or that guy's not a successful guy. There's one person who's going to be responsible for determining whether what you did was good or not, and that's the righteous judge. And there's a crowd waiting for those who are willing to fight a good fight, finish the course, keep the faith, and be faithful to the one who saved you and gave you a purpose before the foundation of the world. Let's stand together with this